wow, it's hard to believe we are coming, we are now at the end of our journey of the book of Philippians. You know, it often feels like you ever uh, experienced something like this where, you know, you have this wonderful vacation and then you're coming back after all of that, those things conclude and you're somehow at home and you're looking through all the snapshots of all the journey that you had been on. Some of those pictures, you're like, ooh, like, I don't look good in that picture. And other parts where you're like, ooh, I remember that. That was really enjoyable. You know, what I want to take us through, perhaps maybe you didn't start that journey with us, but what I want to do this morning as we conclude the book together is take us back through various snapshots that we've experienced together through, through the book of Philippians as Paul has so graciously to this particular church desired to demonstrate uh, the, the need for unity, the need for a level of rejoicing. And as we walk back and we think about these, these snapshots that we get to experience, there's no doubt the, the desire for you is to remember, is to remember uh, what, what the journey was about to begin with. And I want to remind us as we, as we come through this journey that uh, we have been striving to think about this, that the church must seek to rejoice while striving towards unity together for the sake of the gospel. Did you notice that? It's not for your sake. It's not, it's not just for unity's sake. It's not just so that we can enjoy being here together versus uh, conflict over peace is certainly better, but that's not the entire goal. The entire goal of unity is to display and enjoy the life that we live together as believers side by side for whose sake? For the sake of the gospel and for the glory of God. It's because the very thing that glorifies God the most is displayed in the very gospel that we preach and the gospel that we live out each and every day. Well, if you're not there yet in Philippians, please turn to Philippians 1. Use your device, scroll there. Get to Philippians chapter 1, verse number 27, would you? As we think about this, uh, I hope this verse, every time you come to the book of Philippians, has been emblazoned on your mind. Because we have been saying it, we've been reading it, we've been thinking about it. It has been our theme verse, our desire to continue to, to seek after this. And here's what I want to do this morning. I want all of us read this together. Okay, we're going to all read this together. Okay, so get there, Philippians chapter 1. Uh, verse number 27, I'll start with the only, and then you come right in after that, all right? Here we go. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the sake of the gospel. Now, I hope as you continue to think through this, what we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit more about this morning, uh, when we think about Philippians, uh, Paul said this one statement in Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. Uh, he said this, he says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it is safe for you. That's what I'm going to do this morning. I am going to remind you of the things that we've been through and walked through, and it's, it's, it's not hard. This is not going to be a complicated sermon in the sense of we're digging into certain themes, certain uh, expositions of certain things. This is for us, each one of us, to remember the journey we had, to look back at the pictures he gave, the principles he delineated in the text, and it's no trouble for me, and it's safe for you. Okay? Because I'm not giving you anything new to think about. What I am going to challenge you to do is what are you doing with what you have now learned, what you are now responsible with, and what then will you go out and say, God, when we walk through the book of Philippians as a body of believers, impressed upon my soul this particular principle or that particular principle. Pick one, pick two, and say, you know what, God, I'm going to look to change these things in my life. I'm not just going to be a hearer of the word. I'm going to be a doer of the word. 
take the principles that, that, that we will go back over today and, 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 and pick a few that God, is going, that God has put on your heart and your mind to say, this is where I'm going to do better, not only uh, so that you can rejoice, not only so that you can have unity, but for the very glory of God that is displayed in your personal life, no matter if anybody else sees it, but you and God alone uh, make that endeavor this morning. Now, the first thing that we're going to do this morning uh, is we're going to remind ourselves of the continued commitment to rejoice. If there is one theme or one word that was said over and over again, it's the word rejoice and it's the word joy. Now, I will just challenge you and, and, and help you think again, Christians, are you living with a level of joy? Like, was it hard for you to feel like you had to come to church today? Or you have to do your devotions? Or you have to be with, with, with God's people? Or is it hard for you to go in and say, God, what, what you have me going through right now is really hard and I'm, and I'm suffering and I'm struggling? Well, these are the moments that Philippians has, has Paul has called the Philippian believers to rejoice. Now, you're gonna, we're going to be flipping back and forth, so have your Bible ready because we're going to need it. Uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse 3. Notice this. Paul says this. I thank my God in all remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy. You know, maybe it goes without saying, but you know, not everybody that you remember, you're always as happy to remember. Have you noticed that? But one of the things, can I encourage you? in a way that Paul encouraged us and the Philippian believers, when you think about people in this body, how you think about them matters. If you say, oh, I don't want to talk to this person, or I don't want to experience that, or oh, I'm not going to go to that Sunday school because there's too many people I'm a little bit not comfortable with, or when you remember one another, Christians, believers, chapel members, do you rejoice? Do you in your prayers sometimes just sit back and say, God, I, I'm just thinking of my brothers and sisters in Christ at the chapel and people's names and their, 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 their pictures of who they are are coming to my mind and I'm just able to say, Lord, thank you for this person. Thank you for this person that you put in, in my life on the journey. Thank you for this person that helped me through this level of suffering. Thank you for this person. When I was struggling with discouragement or anxiety, they walked along with me. Thank you for this person who just was willing to stop and just pray with me for a moment just to care for my soul. See, when we, when we stop remembering how good it is to be together, we begin to allow our mind to dwell on things of why we shouldn't be and what makes it hard. And, and, and the whole point of, of going back through is to say, we want to remember. But one of the things that I want you to remember is one another. What would this place be if we weren't all here together this morning? Or there's just two here and two here and two here. So many pastors around the country as they preach the gospel, they're looking out at faces of people who that gospel has changed. And so many times they are in, in, in a mode as Paul was in thanksgiving for the people that God has redeemed. And let's spend a little bit of time in prayer remembering the people who have invested into your life. You, know, you think about uh, the way that God uses people in your life. And just go to the Lord and just say, thank you. Well, what was this rejoicing all about when we remember it? Notice he, he's rejoicing over a particular thing. In verse 4 he says, uh, I, I rejoice of you all when I make my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. There's something unique about rejoicing in those, in those people who had journeyed along with us from the very beginning points of our, of our gospel change in our life. And we think about them and we think, wow, uh, God used them in such a remarkable way. And Paul would say these, these, these further comments in Philippians chapter 1. Uh, have your eyes scroll down uh, to verse 18 when he says, 
uh, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Brothers and sisters, we are, we are not just partners, not just attenders of the same church, not just people who go to Sunday school together, not just people who fellowship at a party in the park. All those things are great things. But we are partners in the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is a news that is being dispensed all across uh, pulpits that are, 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 are looking at the word of God as authoritative and sufficient that is going out saying there is a partnership that happens in the local church and in the larger, fuller body of Christ at large. And it's a partnership in the gospel. And for that, Paul looked back and rejoiced. I hope you look at those people who have labored with you in the gospel. So many teams of people who, who minister together. And I am constantly reminded of it every week, week in, week out, when I walk down our pastoral hallway how thankful I am to have faithful partners in the gospel of Christ. And when I come here and I hear of other different ministries and things and partnerships for the sake of the gospel, oh, it does something to my soul. It is not just coming and saying, oh, I'm here, don't bother me, shut the door. It's like we're in this together. And Paul wanted to rejoice with these people. Notice in verse, uh, not only partakers in the gospel, but look at verse 7 of chapter 1. When he would say something like this, he said, it is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me in grace. Oh, brothers and sisters, the, the gospel is all about grace. You know why we get so excited about the gospel? It has nothing to do with us. <laughs> because if it had something to do with us in the sense that we could earn it, we could work for it, we could, we could go after it in that way, we would rejoice over our own accolades saying, ah-ha-ha, look, look what he has. I don't know genuine Christians who would ever want to look at themselves that way. They view themselves in a very different light as the most needy people of the gospel. Why is that? because they are partakers in grace. And when you think about people and you're rejoicing over people in your life, people who are in this body, remember, they're partakers of the grace of Jesus Christ. Wasn't this the, the thing that Yodi and Syntyche forgot? You are both going to heaven. You both love the Lord. You've both been changed. How is that? Because they're partakers of the same grace. Christians never forget this, that the gospel is, is the gospel because it is a gospel of grace, not of works. Oh, I love Titus 3, 5, and 6, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his great mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration. Why do we like that term, regeneration? Christians, theologically, it, it speaks and screams to us that you and I were dead in our trespasses and sins. And when you're dead, you're dead. It's like, you've got nothing. There's no life. There's no enjoyment. There's no remembrance. There's no grace. But when the grace of Jesus Christ, through repentance and trust in, his, in the Savior Jesus Christ, came into your life, he took that dead person and he made him alive through grace that was not of you. When you think of your brothers and sisters, rejoice with them. Rejoice as you think about them. Rejoice as you minister with them. That they too are sharers, partakers of this grace that was only given because we have such a, a great Savior. But not only that, he continues on in verse 29. Notice this, chapter 1. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him but also suffer for his sake engaged in the same conflict that I that you saw I had and now hear that I still have 
I'm not so foolish as to think that somehow we can just uh, think happy thoughts and then we will just rejoice. I've tried it. It doesn't work. Don't try it. If that's only the place that you're going to go. See, the way you think about what you think about really does matter because you are going to go through suffering. You might be in the throes of suffering right now by God's sovereign providential hand. He's bringing you to in, in, from, uh, he, he's brought you to a place that feels very dark, feels very alone. It is at those moments if we don't choose to see something of the gospel of grace that is bigger, that we will stay in that hole for a significant amount of time until perhaps God uses another faithful brother or sister in Christ to say, let me remind you. Let me help you remember the gospel. Let me help you remember the gospel of grace. If you're there in in the suffering right now, let's not speed too quickly past this, whether it's your marriage, a friendship, a struggle in your family, or just something that you've never even told anyone, that the God of grace can meet you in your suffering. And he can bring and lift the fog of confusion and despair and discouragement and anxiety and all kinds of things that you're experiencing and he can lift the fog so that you can once again see the gospel of grace and he'll often use you and I in the lives of one another to help that process happen that's why he's put us in the same body he says I want you to rejoice in the gospel in the grace in the midst of suffering. Now look at chapter 2, verse 2. He says this. He says, So if there's any comfort in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Don't you love loving each other? You're thinking, no. <laughs> Shame on you. (laughs) There should be something, shouldn't there, in the life of the believer that they love loving God's people? Can that be said about you? Because your mind is of one mind with the people, with the same gospel, with the same grace, even at times going through the same suffering, and you look out and you say, only God could do this, couldn't he? And there's something about the same love, the same mind coupled with the same love. Because when you're going through suffering, it's not as if you have, you don't want people to come alongside you and just say, hey, been there before, praying for you, talk to you next week. You want them to stop. Resonate with the suffering. It's painful, it's difficult. And then say, you know, I don't know the answer completely to that right now. I don't fully understand in God's providence why he might have you going through what it is he has you going through. But I do want to remind you this, that I'm not going to leave you alone. And you mark and you walk away from a conversation like that from a brother or sister or a friend in Christ, and you go, you know what? I'm going to put a reminder on my phone because I need to contact this person in two or three days because I don't want to let them be suffering by themselves. You know when they see that phone call coming in, they're not thinking, oh, what did I do wrong? They're thinking, praise God for my brother or my sister who is now strengthening and encouraging me. Are you being that kind of person, church? Individual, are you, are you taking enough time, enough thoughtful effort and energy to rejoice in the gospel, in the grace, in the midst of suffering with the same mind, with the same love that it compels you not to forget about the believers who are suffering and struggling? Do that, Christian. It will delight your soul. Even as I was walking back through the book of Philippians, thinking about the snapshots of the principles that God has has brought us to and the conversations that I've had with different people as a result of different messages and the way that God is using it, different ways, his word. 
that was just rejoicing and thinking in my own life, like, God, you had to challenge me here because I'm so stubborn in certain ways. I just don't want to see it. And you smacked me up by the word, and I needed it so much. I'm so thankful that he does those things and meets us in, in, in our struggles. But aren't you rejoicing over this in Philippians chapter 2? Have this mind in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. Oh, the thoughts of Jesus Christ, the thoughts of the servitude of a Savior who would, who would take himself from, from the hallways of heaven and the throne room of God to say, I will save them and I will show them grace. Who, though in the form of God, did not account equality with God as something to be grasped, but he emptied himself. He took upon the form of a servant, and he was born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. And then you follow it with, and then he follows it with this. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. He has given him a name that is above every name that could ever exist, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow, every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. Christians, you are a servant, and, and, and now by the grace of Jesus Christ have, have shown allegiance to the King of Kings. What more greater thing could you want to rejoice over? Then a Savior loved you so much to die for your sin, to die for my sin. He would stoop to the lowest of lows to take people who were dead in their trespasses and sins. And God would exalt Jesus Christ for his efforts of grace. So many things to rejoice over. Let me give you one more. There are so many. Rejoice over faithful brothers and sisters that serve alongside you. We read of Timothy and Epaphroditus. We think of people here who come and who have spent significant time and at times end up God move, ended up moving them, uh, uh, moving them away. And yet when we think of them and their service and their love and their kindness and their efforts over time... Uh, we just rejoice over so many people who God has used in and amidst this body of Christ. And we become people who are thankful. Why? Because when we started this particular journey, we, made, we, we challenged ourselves to be really, really good observers. And we were trying to do this because in the process of it, we, we said this. <clears throat> Observation leads to appreciation, which leads to adoration. That's why we're rejoicing together this morning. When we think about this kind of observation, we have to carry this kind of Bible study so that we're so in tune with the various small parts of a story that all of a sudden we get to the end and we are rejoicing about the, the, the whole content of the letter. See, what, don't you think about this when you read any, any story? Like a story is only good as all of, its, is all, of all of its major parts. If you had a missing part to the story, you wouldn't know how it was going to climax or what was going to happen or some level of suspense that's going on. And in, this, in the story of the book of Philippians, in the gospel of grace, he's saying, observe this, appreciate the God of, the God of grace, and then adore him and praise him, rejoice over him. Well, he wants us to continue in that kind of rejoicing. And I would challenge you, brothers and sisters, it's, it's a choice of the will. Because sometimes you are in circumstances you just don't feel like rejoicing. But it will be a choice you make to anchor your soul to the truth of the gospel of grace and to the brothers and sisters in Christ so that you can find the joy and rejoice over the things that you look back on. We also want us to have a continued commitment to unity. You remember these particular phrases, especially in chapter uh, chapter 1, verse 2, uh, when we think about this statement, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he's about to end the book in a very similar grace-driven way. The same grace, the same peace, the same result of the contentment that you can have, the peace that surpasses all understanding. Where does that come from? It comes from being unified with God and unified with the body of Christ. 
And then he, he says, I want you to be of the same mind. You remember these statements in Philippians chapter 2? Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. See, to be unified is this very delicate reality in the life of a body, is it not? It seems like sometimes churches are held together with the most delicate amount of unity amongst the brethren. One small level of preference or discontinuity in one direction or another tilts the balance to have disunity amongst the brethren. How do we keep it so that we can keep on rejoicing, keep on seeing the gospel of grace? It's to be of the mind of Christ so much to the point where we don't care what somebody's doing for us and we're more concerned about others more than we are ourselves because that is how Christ lived his life. He looked unto the needs of others. And Christians, could you imagine where we would be if he wouldn't have thought like that? We would be destined for hell for eternity, experiencing separation from God forever. We have to look to our Heavenly Father, to our Lord and Savior to bring this kind of unity. And, it, and it's exemplified, which is why, by the way, that all of the illustration of Jesus's, uh, of Jesus coming down from heaven was such a great example when he can say, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Wait, let me remind you this. Unity is a work of the mind. It's a work of the mind and, and the heart. It's a choice that we make to say, I'm not going to make a big deal over something that's not a big deal. There are some people, and we've said this all along the journey, when it comes to that fighting for unity together. So many there are so many people who have so many hills that they're willing to die on, I just can't figure out which hill I can stand with them on. And I desperately try to figure out, which hill can I be on with you? Can I just tell you, there is a lot more things that we have in common than we have different. If all you do is take the time to focus on the things that are so different that you wish would be said different, done different, you'll be a person who's just frustrated all the time. Always thinking everything is a hill to die on. And can I just tell you, it's not. There are some things in this life that just matter more than others, and the gospel is one, grace is another, because it demonstrates a vertical disposition towards God, and I'll tell you what the other one is, they're all sitting around you. It's to love others the way that Jesus loved you. To look at them and value their perspective and value their their, their preferences and, and so much in a way that I'm okay with saying, I don't care if I get that because my brother or sister over here gets this and I'm okay that they're, they're working through that. But don't sin against each other because sin will always create a level of disunity in the body. Check your heart for why you're having to say to someone what you're about to say. Whether that's in your home, to your children, to your spouse, to another member, to a friend, are they ready to hear it? Or do you need to pray with them? Do you need to love them for a time? Do you need to be wise on how you go about doing it? But have unity at all cost, Christians. It's hard work. If you like, uh, if you love unity, uh, in some sense, and you don't want it challenged, Stay single. <laughs> because have you noticed this? That the moment you start adding people into your life, you're tempted to think that they're the complicating factor when it's actually you. <laughs> it's you and it's me. Have unity, brothers and sisters. What's that going to take? It's going to take, according to Philippians chapter 4, when you turn over there and you see and remind yourself of this snapshot of Yodi and Syntyche. Hear these words. 
Philippians chapter 4, verse 2. I entreat you, Yodia, and I entreat you, Syntyche, agree in the Lord. Make the things that matter the most important subjects, not the things of your preferences. He said, yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of the fellow workers who are, whose names are written in the book of life. What about Philippians chapter 4? Unity has, will come through a level of reasonable gentleness. I'll tell you, of all the things and all the messages that I preached through the course of this, that one about smacked me right upside the head. It really challenged me to think, in, in the very personal relationships, is there a sense of, sense of reasonable gentleness? I hear what you're saying, and I appreciate the tone and the disposition with which you say it. Oh, it's so easy, isn't it, when you get fired up about something and you believe so passionately about something to all of a sudden bulldoze people. But I loved it. Yeah, but it doesn't give you an excuse to bulldoze the brethren. Agree in the Lord of the things that matter to the gospel. That doesn't mean that you can't have preferences. It doesn't mean that I don't want you to enjoy those commonalities that many of us share in different regards, in different ways. It's just that we hold them so sensitively in light of the things that matter the greatest so that we can love the Lord and we can love one another. He wants this to happen in the life of the church. Why? Because in Philippians chapter 4, verse 10, he says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that it now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. He says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. You know what unity is going to be had when people look at what they think they need in light of the gospel, and they begin to say, wait, I'm going to put my needs last, and I'm going to put my brother or sister's needs first. They look at themselves before the Lord, and they have everything that they need in Christ they're not looking to feel like they have to have this. They're not treating other people like they're, like they're little saviors. But if I don't have you, then what else do I have? See, uh, the reality is, is even in times in relationships within unity that's so delicate, it's because we're trying to make someone or something and give it savior-like status. I need you as a spouse to do this or act this way or respond this way. Otherwise, I'm going to be fu fully in despair. Well, see, even if, even if people don't act in a certain way, that doesn't mean you can't make the choice to be unified and be at peace with the brethren as far as it depends on you. That is the goal, the Romans 12 reality. Leave room for God to continue to work on their life. Don't hear me say this. Well, that means you don't have to talk to people. No, you're going to have to have that uncomfortable situation. Sorry to tell you. You're going to have to go at some point in somebody's life because you love them so much and say, this is dangerous. And I love you and I want to keep you from that. Love each other enough to be able to have that reasonable, united disposition, the mind of Christ with the love of Christ combined with it so that you speak the truth in love so that no one walks away from a conversation with you, even if you have to say hard things, they'll say, man, that hurts. But, oh, they love me so much, I know why they said it. I just can't get by their love for me. And if you do that as a mom and a dad and as a husband and wife and as a friend and as a church member, at least you can say on your side, you've done everything that God has asked you to do to be at peace with the brethren. You will rejoice in that continued commitment towards unity. Brothers and sisters, let me just tell you this. As we come to an to end of a book, fight for this. Fight for it in the midst of this body. How do you do that? Well, you don't do what Paul says, and thankfully, Pastor Ben brought a really great message 
when he was walking us through this series about don't grumble and complain. You realize how easy it is to grumble and complain about something that's going on in church? It's really easy. Okay? But if you choose to say, I'm not going to be a grumbler or a complainer about people or about things, I'm going to try to figure out how we can do things in a way that pleases God. It will help us to be unified under, under the gospel of Jesus Christ and, and what a blessing that can be. Well, not only a continued commitment to unity, but a continued commitment to the gospel. And what does that look like? Well, he's, it, it looks like this. Flip back to Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. He says in this particular verse, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Revere the God of heaven in such a way that one day you recognize that the gospel of grace in which you hold and live for in community, you and I will stand together and guess what? He's going to ask us, are you, were you unified? This is the, the high priestly prayer of Jesus. Father, make them one. We want to have an impact in our community. How can we do that if we're divided? When we love the Lord Jesus Christ, we work it out with a fear and trembling because what God says matters the most. We do what Philippians chapter 2, verse 14 says, and we do all these things without grumbling and disputing so that we can be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, brothers and sisters. There couldn't be a greater fitting description of the world that we live in, but crooked and twisted. That's the world we live in, and that's the world in which he calls us to rejoice and, and have unity in the midst of it. We're supposed to shine as lights. Christians, are you doing that? Are you shining as a light? Are you sharing the gospel? Are you trying to impact your neighbors? Do you know even whose names of people who are close to you? Do you try to get together with people in the body, in hospitality, just so you can know the work of God in their life and see the Spirit of God who has revived their soul and rejoice with them? That is the continued commitment to the gospel, uh, a commitment to God and a commitment to each other. We follow good examples like Timothy and Epaphroditus, and so many of which you have exemplified in this body to look at. You do what Philippians chapter 3, verses 2 and 3 uh, says, and it says, uh, it says, For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Okay, Christian, the way up is humility. It's so countercultural. It's so counterintuitive to a culture to say, you want me to think less of me? What? No, I can't do that. I like it. You know, people are more interested, like, I love you the more you love me. <laughs> and when you love me, I love you loving me. <laughs> and in fact, maybe that's a result of me loving me. <laughs> Instead of saying, whether I feel a certain way, I have the truth of the gospel regardless of what my emotional status is. I have the assurance of the indwelling seal of the Spirit of God who has marked me until the day of salvation. Why? Because Philippians chapter 1 verse 6, oh this glorious truth that seems so long ago, but we remind ourselves that he who began a good work in all of you and, I, and, and me will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Christian, he's doing a work in and around us. But if we try to put confidence in our flesh and put confidence in our own, our own fleshly ingenuity, we will not glorify his name to the degree that he desires us to do that. Well, what will that cause if we have such a continued commitment to the gospel? Well, I think it's found in Philippians chapter 3, verse, uh, starting in verse 8. You notice this? Indeed, Paul says, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Believers, I'm not so foolish as a pastor to think everybody here is spending time in the Word, getting the opportunity to know the living God 
through the pages of the truth. Maybe that's where you're at, and you haven't been very consistent in that devotion to know the living God through the revelation of his scripture. Can I just encourage you? Get there. You know, if you're doing nothing, start with a couple of days a week. A couple of days a week is going to be a whole lot better than nothing. You always have to start somewhere to get somewhere. So start somewhere. If you're new in the faith and you're thinking, man, Jesus Christ saved me and they got that new believer glow, right? You see it. I love it. It's like they're they're levitating. How do they do that? Because they're, they're loving the grace of God. And it's like, I sometimes wonder as a new believer, it's like, how can you not find joy to that as they're looking down at all the other believers who've been saved for 30 years? Like, get up here. Go vertical. You've got to go to Christ. He is where the surpassing worth of knowing God in Christ Jesus will come from. That will lift you up you go there you will never be disappointed mom and dad you're never going to go wrong by telling your children get to know your God do you see what he's doing for you look at what he's done in our family look at how he's guided us look at how he provides for us we're we're content oh and I love what pastor Jeremy challenged his son in Philippians chapter 3 verse 12 uh, in verse number 12 and 14 12 through 14 when he came to this section, he gets towards the end of it, uh, and, it says, and it says this in verse 14. I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And he challenged us as a church. And I challenge you and remind you again, believers, seek and strive after a life of maturity. Don't just be satisfied with mediocrity. Yes, you can get saved in some sense and make it to heaven. But what you want to do is make it there having fully invested your life to the mission of the gospel to the brothers and sisters in Christ. It's going to look different at different times for different people in different ways that you can invest your life. And we're committed to the gospel. Isn't this a blessing in Philippians chapter 4? Verse number, uh, verse number 5, he says, very plainly, don't be anxious about anything. Like, thanks, Paul. <laughs> like, nothing? Yes, nothing. Why? Because the commitment to the gospel allows our minds and our hearts and our affections to be lifted up so we can say, I have a father who, who is in heaven who has at his disposal the riches of Christ. And his riches are so great, and his, and his, and his presence is so intense in my life, and his wisdom it far surpasses anything I could ever imagine, that he knows when a sparrow will fall. That that is my God, who, who I can find contentment, who can lift me out of the pit of despair and fear and anxiety, and by everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, we let our requests be known to God, even in their most rawest uh, uh, perspective, to say, God, I don't understand. But God, I know you do, and I trust in that, even though it's hard. When we look to do this, we remind ourselves that the rejoicing and the commitment that we have both to our Father in heaven and to one another can bring a level of the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. It brings a level of joy and unity that you will never get without it. And as we look and we think about the very end of these verses, it's not super complicated, but I do want to remind us of this. Notice in the very last verses, Paul says, Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. I mean, what a remarkable thing for the Philippians to end on. For Paul to say, your prayers for me 
and for the, for, the, for the gospel ministry to go out and go forth and have people come to know Christ. It's happening. You can trust in him, and he's reminding them, all the saints in Christ here with me greet you. And I think this, is, this blew my mind, and I think it would blow their mind as well. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Now that you wouldn't expect. And he says, there are people here because of your commitment to me, by your support for me, that I was able to share the gospel, that I didn't lose heart because of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm calling you to do the same. And then he ends it with this beautiful statement. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And guess what? He will. And they could anchor their soul to that, that the grace of God that started their journey of faith would continue on through their life of faith from beginning to end, even if Paul never got to see them again, which is his longing and hope that he had. Oh, he wanted to be with them, thank them in person, to love them so deeply. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is with us, brothers and sisters. It's his grace that allows us to stand together. It's his gospel, not ours. It's his grace that was given at Christ's expense. It is his regeneration through the work of his spirit. It is not of us. As we close up this particular book of Philippians, and you go back, and I hope you take a few minutes sometime in the future, you go back and you see some of the notes and things you've circled and underlined, uh, but I hope that you don't do this. I hope that you, just don't go, you don't just say this. Whew, we're done with that. What's next? <laughs> remember. Remember the truths that he's teaching you here. There are so many more to learn, but there are things that are... That, that he's called to your mind that is, is not expoke, supposed to escape uh, your efforts once we close a book like this. And as we close, let me remind you of Philippians chapter 3 because this is uh, such an important verse as we, as we think about this. Philippians chapter 3, verse number 20 and 21. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Philippians chapter 4, verse 1, look at this. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand Firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Brothers and sisters, you are, not, you are beloved here, but most importantly, if you are a believer, you are beloved by God who will carry out this journey from when he started it till the day of Christ Jesus. And that day, by the way, is coming. This enjoyment. Just listen. As I read don't even have to turn there. I just want you to listen to this. Revelations chapter 21, and the new heaven and new earth, and it says, and then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw that holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away, and he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Believers, there's a reason why we rejoice. There's a reason why we fight for unity. 
because our citizenship is not here. He is coming to make all things new. And if you are not urgently desiring to say, man, I want that, come, Lord Jesus, come, but willing to faithfully suffer and faithfully serve until that point, there's something wrong. Fight for unity. Live with a level of urgency because he's really coming back. And if you're here and you're hearing the gospel and you're saying, I want that, repent of your sin and trust in Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is your Savior. Because the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of salvation is given by Jesus Christ if you trust in him. It is for you. He wants you to be part of his beloved. And by God's grace, and his grace will be with us as we look to remember, rejoice, be unified, and commit ourselves to a life of unity in the gospel no matter what happens to come in our culture of any time, both now and on into the future. We will not let it disunify us for the sake of the gospel and the glory of God. Make that commitment, brothers and sisters, because that is how God will continue to use this church for his glory, for his sake, when we are united for purposes beyond ourself to live and glorify him. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, you are such an incredible God of grace. The Spirit of God moves and draws people from so many varieties of circumstances, from pits of despair. You, you allow us even at times to experience lows so that, we can, so that we can see you more clearly that there is hope and purpose and meaning in you. Lord, we're not so foolish that, that Satan's attacks we know will come on, amid our body, in our culture, as it continues to rage on against your plan and against your purposes. Lord, help us to pers persevere together for your glory to be displayed both here and among the nations, that we could be seen as a people who love you and a people who are known by that kind of love because you are great and you deserve the glory so that we would live a life that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ as we live side by side for the sake of the gospel. Help us do that, Father. In your name we pray. Amen.